This week, we continue our journey through the solas. The five truths expressing that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. Again, these are foundational truths to how we understand salvation, and and I've enjoyed working through them with you, and I pray that, that you have been as blessed as I have. We've covered the first two, grace and, and faith, and this week we are on Solus Christus, Christ alone. Our text this morning will be John chapter 14, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 6. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to read along. If not, the words are going to be up on the screen. That's John 14, 1 to 6. But before we get to the text, I'd like to open the sermon this morning with a story. On February 18th, 1952, the oil tanker S.S. Pendleton got caught in a storm, a a vicious nor'easter while it was en route from New Orleans to Boston. One of the crewmen, Chris Bridges, ascended a catwalk on his way from the stern to the back of the ship, which a catwalk's like just this narrow little bridge, right high, like way up off the deck, but it's just this tiny little bridge. And he's going from from the stern to the bow, so the back of the, the ship to the front of the ship, And as he's moving down the catwalk, he just realizes that it just ends right in front of him. The tanker has split in two. And no one on the back of the boat even knew that it happened. And so there they were, 33 men caught in a storm so violent it had torn their boat in half, sinking off the coast of Massachusetts. What hope did they have of rescue? Now, we may not be on a broken boat in the Atlantic Ocean, but as humans, we are consistently in situations from which we need rescue. And I don't mean damsel in distress rescue. We don't randomly find ourselves in a tower guarded by a dragon waiting for our knight in shining armor to come and, and rescue us. I'm talking of a more mundane, but, but the mundane that grows and transforms until it is a prison cell of our own making. I'm talking about the temptations that we are unable to resist, the sin to which, that, the sin to which they lead, the sin that becomes our prison, and the guilt and the shame that become our jailers, making sure that we don't ever think about leaving. Who of us does not struggle with sin? Who among us never gives in to our carnal, our base desires, the longings and cravings of our old and sinful nature? Who of us keeps our temper perfectly? Who of us never talks back? Who of us never escalates a situation? Who of us guards our eyes perfectly, making sure that we only see that which is appropriate? Who of us guards our ears perfectly, making sure we only hear that which is appropriate? This question goes for our thoughts and our actions as well. Who of us is able to live such a devout life that we never stray from the path that God has called us to, from the work that God has called us to? Who of us has never gossiped or lied or committed adultery in the playground of our minds? Who of us has kept his or her tongue in check perfectly, has never been selfish or jealous? Who has never had an idol but glorified God perfectly in all that we think and do? 
Who of us gives generously every time? And who of us has loved our neighbor in the same way that we have loved ourselves? How are we doing with that? How is maintaining perfection going for you? If I was to call for a raising of hands to see who had never slipped, who had never given in to the temptations of the world around them and the sinful heart inside them, should any raise their hand, they would be at minimum a liar. For each of us as sinners, as people conceived in sin, have gone our own way, followed the desires of our own hearts, and have fallen short of the glory of God. And in so doing, we have created a cell for ourselves, a prison that we cannot escape. In our sin, we do not have the ability to be let out on good behavior. And the lock demands a perfection that we cannot attain. And so that we may not physically be on the SS Pendleton on February 18th, 1952, we find ourselves in need of rescue. We need someone to rescue us from the prison of our sin. And as we rest in that realization, let's turn to our text this morning, found again in John 14, 1-6, and hear the life-giving words of Jesus. We read the word of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, this conversation with Jesus takes place during a rather tense moment. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, which was a bit of an uncomfortable situation for them. Then he predicts his betrayal, and then Judas leaves up to fulfill that prediction. Then Jesus tells the disciples that he's not going to be with them for much longer, that he is going to leave them, and Peter can't believe it. Wherever Jesus goes, he says, wherever you go, I'm going. He'd lay down his life for his teacher, says Peter. And so he expresses all of this aloud. And, and in response, Jesus tells Peter that he will now deny him three times. The disciples do not fully grasp what is going on, but they can see the light at the end of the tunnel for this amazing time that they have spent with this incredible teacher and true friend. And they are nervous. They're getting scared. The butterflies have started fluttering in their stomachs, and it is into this uncomfortable, intense situation that we hear the words of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't worry, says Jesus. Set the anchor of your faith in God and in me. Be comforted, says Jesus. Let your Holy Father 
and let his loving son be your comfort in these times of need. And then he continues by describing to the disciples how he is going to prepare a place for them in God's house and that someday he will come and get them for they know the way to the place where he is going. And God bless the disciples. God bless Thomas. They have no idea that Jesus is talking about a heavenly home. They think he's talking about a home like physically somewhere, like he's going to go out, fell some trees, and he's building them a place, and it's going to be nice. They think he's, they, they just don't get it. And so Thomas asked the question that would be on the hearts and tongues of, of any normal person in that situation. and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, man. How can we know the way? Karen and I went out for dinner this past week with some friends. Hadn't been on a double date in a long time, and it was nice to get out of the house and to do that. But I, I didn't pick the restaurant. I had no idea where I was going, and so I needed directions, which I was given. And we ate, and the food was stinging delicious. It was fantastic. But how could I have gotten there? How could I get to the restaurant if I didn't know the way? If I didn't have directions, if I didn't have a GPS, how would I know where I was going if I didn't know the way? So while Thomas's question is incredibly logical, Jesus' answer is the truth that sets the prisoner free. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We attempt all sorts of jailbreaking maneuvers to get ourselves out of the prison of sin that we find ourselves trapped in. We've seen the movies, we've read the books, we've heard the stories, so we've tried it all, man. We've tried to bribe the guards, we've tried to pick the lock, we've tried to make a shank out of our toothbrush so we can fight our way out. But the reality is that there is no hope of escape if we are following our own path, relying in our own strength, our own merit, our own wisdom, and our own morality. These things may help us feel more comfortable in the cell, but none of them will save us from it. And though we look around at society, at the world around us, and we see advertised everywhere all these different means of salvation, all these different religions and beliefs, each promising freedom in their own way, some promising freedom from the cell of sin, some denying that there is any other existence, and so we should just make the cell as comfortable as possible, but none of them. None of them will bring freedom, for there is one jailbreaker. There is one rescuer. There is one who has paid the price necessary to open the cell of our sin and to set us free. I am the way and the truth and the life, says Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see this again in Acts 4, as Zechariah read this morning, when Peter and John have been imprisoned for healing a man who can't walk, and they are taken before the church leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, for questioning, and they are asked, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter is, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he calls them out and loudly proclaims, hey, you want to know how we healed this guy? You want to know how we healed this dude? This guy who couldn't walk, who's been sitting out in front of the temple begging for change for as long as you can remember? You want to know how we healed him? Remember that guy you killed? Remember that dude? Remember Jesus? Remember that innocent man you had nailed to a tree? Yeah, well, God raised him from the dead. 
And it is by His name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that this man stands before you healed. And then Peter throws this line in the face of the church leaders, this line that was like poison to them but gives life to us. He says in verse 12 of chapter 4, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is one name, and that is the name of Christ. And so salvation is found through Christ alone, not through some other man-made God, not through the worship of nature or the sun or the moon or the stars, not through prophecy given by demons masquerading as angels, not through the good and moral intentions of man. No, none of this will save. All of this will lead to separation from God and ultimately to destruction. Our works cannot save us. Our dreams cannot save us. The gods we have made up and the lies that they have told us cannot save us. Inner peace will not save us. Meditation will not save us. Being one with nature and the universe will not save us. For salvation is found in Christ alone. The Christ who loves you. The Christ who humbled himself and became man for you. The Christ who lived the perfect life that none of us could. The innocent Christ upon whose shoulders was given the sins of the world. And though they led to his suffering, he accepted them. For where we fail to do so, he followed the will of the Father perfectly. And on the cross, the tree of shame, upon its cursed branches, Jesus was forsaken by God, abandoned in our place by God, and there he died. Jesus knew how comfortable we had made our jail cells of sin. He knew how we had tried to explain away our failures. He knew the excuses that we make for our flaws, the blame that we heaped on everybody else, including him for why we were stuck where we were, why we needed rescue. He saw how comfortable we were in our sin, and that did not cause him to love us any less. No, our meager attempts at justifying our fallenness caused him to love us all the more, and he died for us in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death, that through faith in him, through belief in Jesus Christ, we would be saved. For when we believe in Jesus, when we believe in his work on our behalf, we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. We are made right before God. And when we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it becomes clear how sad and pitiful our attempts at making ourselves comfortable, our cell comfortable, truly are. And as we have come to recognize the depths of our flaws and failings, we are brought to repentance. We confess the truths of our flaws and our need for God's forgiveness. In response, he pours his grace and mercy over us, for through Christ we are forgiven. And though we will continue in our sinfulness, we will continue to try to make our sin comfortable. The Holy Spirit continually draws us back to God in repentance, and God continues to forgive us. What a truth. What a blessing. But it is only through belief in Christ, through faith in Christ, that we are saved. For we are saved through Christ alone. Christ is our rescuer. 
Boatswain's mate, first class, Bernie Weber, is not Jesus Christ. But he was the rescuer for the men trapped on the SS Pendleton. A Coast Guard pilot navigating the intense storm located and reported on the floating stern, the back half of the Pendleton. There was another ship, the Fort Mercer, a sister ship to the Pendleton, that also broke in half in the same storm. And there were two Coast Guard stations working to save her. And that left one station, Chatham Station, in range to save the men on the Pendleton. Bernie Weber was the boatswain, the captain of the rescue boat. He asked for volunteers and was joined by Richard Livesley and Andy Fitzgerald. Irvin Maskey was the first to volunteer, but he was dealing with the flu, and it was decided that he was too weak to be able to help. The three who boated the boat had never trained together as a unit, and at 24 years old, Weber was the eldest of the group. They set out in search of the Pendleton. The most dangerous stretch to navigate would be the Chatham Bar, a series of sandbars that were constantly shifting and was often referred to as the graveyard of the Atlantic and had seen some 3,000 shipwrecks over the years. Weber reported back to the station via radio that the waves were reaching 60 to 70 feet in height. In response to that direction... They were given from the station was proceed as directed. And so they did. And during the course of the journey over the Chatham Bar, they lost their radio, their compass, and their windshield. They now had no tangible way of finding the Pendleton. And yet they did. As they approached the ship, they saw one man on board, and he was soon joined by another, and then another, and then suddenly all 33 of the men aboard the stern of the sinking ship were waiting on deck, waiting for rescue. Now, the rescue boat was not designed to carry 36 men. In fact, the number far exceeded the capacity of the rescue boat, but they agreed we would all live... Or we would all die. And so the men on the boat lowered the ladder and began timing their jumps with the waves. So the waves would bring them up and they'd jump from the ladder into the boat. And and Weber is trying to maneuver in this storm his little rescue boat, keeping them close enough for the men to be able to make the jump, but not so close that they would be splintered against the hull of the Pendleton. I can't even imagine. Ultimately, Only one man was unable to make the jump and was lost to the waves. And this little rescue boat, overburdened with the men who needed rescuing, made its way back to Chatham Station, back over the Chatham Bar, and they were greeted by over a hundred locals waiting to welcome the freezing cold men to safety. There are times when it seems like it would be impossible for God to be able to forgive all that we have done. That it would be impossible for him to rescue us from the depths of the sin that we have gotten ourselves caught up in. When these doubts and when these fears assail you, remember that our God specializes in the impossible. Be comforted that there is no sin that God does not know about and there is no sin that God has not forgiven. Your circumstance and your life's journey are not outside the reach of his love and forgiveness. What seems impossible to us is possible with God. Jesus 
has come to rescue you. He came to save you. Though the obstacles he had to overcome were incredible, bordering on unbelievable, and though we feel so lost that no compass could find us and no radio could tell our location, though we are helplessly drifting in the storms of life, Jesus knows where we are. And he finds us. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has come that we might go with him to the Father. Friends, church, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in his Son. Rest in the arms of Jesus. Rest in the love of Christ. Rest in the grace that God has poured out over you. He loves you. He has saved you. Trust in him. Trust in Christ alone. Amen.